All right, good morning. I am glad to be here with you and thankful for the privilege of being here. I wanted to greet you from Resurrection Church before I read uh, the scriptures. Uh, Resurrection Church is a church a couple years younger than you, but has a similar story of being a church plant and uh, definitely a shared conviction in the, the gospel and the word of God. And uh, I thought of a passage like Colossians chapter 1, where it says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love, the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. And I I know we've had members of our congregation surely visit this church. I, I'm not sure I can think of one specifically, but I've been aware of people I love here, I can see right now, and the work God's been doing among you. And I just want you to know, we, we pray for you, I pray for you, and thank God for you like Paul thanked God for the Colossians who he had not yet met. Could I ask you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 22? Luke chapter 22 is where I'll read As soon as uh, I pray, we can turn to Luke chapter 1, but I want to begin with a reading of the scripture from Luke chapter 22, verses 39 to 46. In this setting, Jesus is about to face his greatest test, and the disciples will face it with him. How they will face it will be dependent on his instructions in this moment. And I want you to hear the the word of the Lord. It says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching that place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray that you will not fall into temptation. Let's pray. This is the word of the Lord. Sorry, Will. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, this is your word. Lord Jesus ascended to heaven. This record of your instruction and this celebration of your example, we come now and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would bring us to see the glory of Christ, that you would move us into conformity with his image, that you would use your holy word 
to transform your people that you have set apart. Would you continue in this morning as we have uh, taken the bread and the cup and have taken to ministering in songs and hymns and spiritual songs? Holy Spirit, would you continue and even increase your ministry among us? Would you bless us with illumination as we look at the inspired word? Would you cause us to understand how it ought to guide us, empower us, and transform us? And would you glorify Christ Uh, through each of us, but through us together, his body. It is in Christ's name that we pray and for his glory. Amen. Would it be good if I pull this away from my face? All right. My plosives are pretty powerful. How's that? All right. Not a plan to be that way. It just happens. It just comes out of my mouth. All right. We're going to look in this prayer week through some special passages in Luke to help us follow in the path of the Lord as we, uh, as we learn to pray. And they're, they're, anybody that has been around the church for a long enough time probably remembers a little rubber bracelet that uh, talks about following the Lord, WWJD, right? Did anybody, raise your hand if you actually had a WWJD bracelet. Some people, all right, I... You, you probably remember them, right? And you, you probably remember bumper stickers that say something like, you know, Jesus is my co-pilot. And you remember the movements that were calling us to walk with the Lord and follow the Lord through our lives in a way that communicated uh, something, something like, well, Jesus should be a meaningful participant in the life that you are going to live. And we want him to be like yesterday. Lucas and Will were taking my wife and I around, pointing out the city, and, and they were telling each other, or Lucas was saying, oh, go past this street to the next street. And Will was listening to his instructions. And, and, and maybe that's some of the picture that Christianity has been given, that, that you at least want Jesus actively in, riding shotgun, saying, well, not this street, go to the next one, because he knows the lay of the land a little bit better. He's been around the town longer, or he just is better with his sense of direction. So you should trust him enough to put him in the shotgun. But I think most of us, when we encounter the what would Jesus do bracelet, or that sentiment of of Jesus being our co-pilot, we sense that that is not sufficient for the realities of discipleship in this life. Because some of you, you would love to be driving the car, Right? But you're actually in a place where you feel like, well, what, is, what does it mean when the car has pinned you to the ground? You've been in an accident, and it's flipped, and now you are underneath the car. What, what do I do then? What, what would Jesus do in the moment where you are in that multi-car pileup, desperate for your life, becomes a different question, and in fact, I think it's a question that leads us to think that, uh, of, of a, major, a major flaw in our understanding of the Christian life because you probably feel pinned in some circumstance. There's probably, I mean, I would look out here and think, is there a college student here that feels like they're currently being chased by multiple wild animals? One named debt, one named work, one named studies, and you're being chased towards a cliff that says no jobs here. <laughs> Right? That, that's somebody going, oh, I'm so glad Jesus is my co-pilot <laughs> while we go towards that. Or there's someone in here, likely, who is daily battling some kind of chronic pain or illness. Someone in here, maybe two of you and don't even know it, whose marriage is hanging on by frayed tatters 
even while someone at work seems so interesting and kind and caring. Maybe parents in here who are deeply grieved over the choices of a child. And you're wondering, okay, I don't want to hear another person swoop in and say, what would Jesus do? Because what you're wondering is, how will I keep from punching them? Because I don't think Jesus wants me to punch them with my what would Jesus do bracelet. But I know I need more than just what would Jesus do. And here's my, here's my contention. Actually, I think the question, what would Jesus do, is a phenomenal question. But when we face the moments in life that, that the prayerful people of Christ come to this, how? Okay, Jesus would endure this, but I'm not sure I understand how. If he's pinned... He was pinned in moments. He faced places where it seemed like the people he needed to impact were out of reach. The people he wanted to rescue just wouldn't turn around no matter how hard he grabbed them. The the path of faithfulness seemed to be impossible. The Lord Jesus walked through life as a human, endured weakness, like some of you who are facing those chronic pains. He overcame temptation and he impacted others all on the path to fulfill the father's will and it is good for us to think what would Jesus do it is good for us to read the gospels and say how ought the Lord direct my path but we miss a a crucial a fundamental part of Jesus example in the example of prayer when we start to think that Jesus, I don't know if you ever thought this, but Jesus, sometimes it appears to us that Jesus, what would Jesus do is a hollow question because that's like, what would Superman do? What would Superman do? Well, Superman would lift the car off of him, right? What would Superman do? Well, he would go faster than a speeding bullet and, or faster than a locomotive or higher than a plane or whatever the, the Superman is supposed to do. He would jump over that building and reach his child's heart. And so when someone says to you in those moments where you're pinned and you're asking how, what would Jesus do? And you've misunderstood what our culture wants you to misunderstand is that Jesus is a life coach and that Jesus is giving you a good set of directions that are a little bit better than directions you have on yourself. Then you look to Jesus and you say, wait a second, this is a place where we're totally different. And here's my contention to do this morning. Jesus actually didn't navigate his life towards the Father's will on earth in some Superman hovering around, enduring temptation and turning from evil and impacting others and obeying in a way that is fundamentally different than something you could participate in. He actually did it through dependent prayer, through the power given to him by the Spirit in his incarnation, and he walked out. So when Peter says, Christ suffered in this way, 1 Peter 1, to leave you an example, Peter's not the, the, the tone-deaf, what-would-Jesus-do bracelet. But Peter also isn't thinking, well, you need to figure out how to get strength like Jesus without prayer. He's saying, if you saw what Jesus did, which was embrace a life of dependent prayer you could find the strength that he found. How are you going to overcome temptation? How are you going to impact others? How are you going to walk faithfully with the Father's will for your life? You're going to hear the Lord's invitation to power through prayer. You're going to take up the power of the Spirit in your life. Jesus accomplished the Father's will 
for his life in prayer. And what I want to show you in the Gospel of Luke in a number of passages. And now this is one of the challenges. It's expositional. We want to have the scripture tell us what it's saying and say what the scripture is telling us. Sometimes we can miss the way that an author in narrative is making a point through repetition. And the Gospel of Luke, I'm going to hopefully help present to you the idea that that, that Luke does want you to see that Jesus fulfilled the Father's will for his life through prayer because you're going to see that he keeps putting prayer in crucial moments where Jesus is faithfully on the path. And as you see that, I hope it will be an accumulated weight for a disciple of Christ, followers of Jesus, to say, oh, that is the kind of life he lived. That is the way he navigated faithfully. And while what what would Jesus do seem to me to be an oppressive burden, I want you to hear it as an invitation to the life of prayer and the power that he had from God. Let's look at Luke chapter 3, the first passage I'll point you to after Jesus' birth and and many of the presentations of his life as a child, I want you to see in verse 21 that Jesus receives the Holy Spirit while he is praying. Luke 21 says these words. By the way, I'm reading from the New International Version if, if our language is slightly different. That's why. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. The the kickoff for Jesus' recognition and ministry was not just this moment. It was actually the reception of the Spirit. And he received the power of the Spirit to take part in this ministry in prayer. Okay, it's the first example, so it might not seem like a pattern yet. Let's look at verse chapter 6. Look at chapter 6, verse 12. What you're going to see is now Jesus is going to gather his disciples. It says in Luke chapter 6, verse 12... One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Now, if I read that verse alone, you'd say, oh, there's the example. But I want you to remember who he's about to call to himself. Verse 13, when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles. You can read the names there. But don't miss that, right? The people that Jesus was calling to himself to be the foundation of the church, as Ephesians describes, the messengers that he was going to gather to himself to entrust with this task, he gathered them to himself after a night of prayer. He, his ministry's kicked off in prayer. His The the people he wants to impact are gathered in prayer. Luke chapter 9. Go to chapter 9, verse 18. Jesus is correctly identified as God's Messiah by Peter after praying. Now this is interesting because I know um, there's there's someone for everyone whose heart is out of reach right now. And you want to reach their heart, right? And if somebody sold a heart wrench... 
it would sell out immediately on Amazon and Walmart and every other place, right? If you could get a guaranteed way to reach the hearts of those you love, you would buy, I, I mean, I would spend my life savings right now on that for my, my brother and many people, right? You, you would go and you would get it because a heart wrench is not something that's available, we think, right? But look at, look at chapter nine, verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying, in private, and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do crowds, the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, God's Messiah. Now, if you're new to the Bible, I just want you to realize this is one of the more hard-headed, slow-learning people <laughs> in the stories of Scripture who gets an A-plus on that answer. And it's easy to read it and just brush past what happened. Peter nails it. And in verse 18, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him. You see that Luke is starting to, okay, his ministry is kicked off in, in prayer. He gathers the foundation of the movement of God in the church in prayer. The, the, these guys who are kind of a ragtag, slow-learning crew, they start to get it in prayer. Keep, let's, keep, let's keep going. Verse 9, why don't you just scoot a couple verses down. In 28, okay, about eight days after Jesus said this, so they have continual discussion, and he took Peter, John, and James, the core central disciples that he was investing in with him, and he went up on a mountainside to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. And they spoke with Jesus about his departure or that exodus that Pastor Lucas was just mentioning. Right, This passage he referenced. Very easy to let our eyes be instantly and for other purposes we should attracted to the light of Jesus' face in the transfiguration. But I want you to see the pattern that's growing. He, he shines, Right? before his inner circle, recognized for who he is and for the seriousness and, and, and significance of his person and work by those disciples on the heels of what? Took them up on a mountainside to pray. Go to Luke 11. Luke 11. In chapter 11, verse 1, Jesus' devotion to prayer incites his disciples to learn about prayer. And this is a relatively easy one. We'll come back to this in the week, so I'm not going to spend a bunch of time on the Lord's Prayer. But it says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now the Lord goes on to teach about prayer, and I'm going to save that for tomorrow night, all right? Shameless plug. But I want you to see the 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 pattern that's going on. They're hungry to learn. You know this, anybody that's got children, anybody that's tried to teach somebody else, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear, right? 
Or say it the other way, you cannot help someone beyond the level they want to be helped. It's one of the most frustrating realities of the world. <laughs> you just can't help somebody beyond the level they want to be helped. And that's why you want that heart wrench, right? You want to, if they could see what I know is significant, then they would learn, right? Well, I think Jesus' life of prayer is connected to his, his disciples starting to hunger to learn in prayer. Luke's giving us this momentum. Can I, can I take you to Luke 18? Obviously, there's a lot in Luke. So let me take you to Luke 18. And Jesus knows that as his ministry is headed towards its, its, his earthly ministry, his first coming is headed towards its crucial moment, he calls them into a prayerful life, the disciples into a prayerful life until he returns again. Look at verse 1. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Now Jesus goes on to tell a story that actually is going to be the center of our attention on Wednesday night. So, but I, I want you to see this. Perseverance. And anybody in here find themselves growing to understand why the scripture celebrates and encourages, even commands perseverance? Because doing what the Lord called you to again to, today, it actually, it, it does get tiring. Like you don't have to change the world tomorrow. You just, I gotta love that same stupid person. I've gotta get up and I've gotta be kind and gentle towards that person again. And they're thinking the same thing. Isn't that great? <laughs> you know, they're, they're going, man, this is so hard. And, and that's not to speak even to the suffering and hardship that comes in an unjust world, broken and, and under the curse. But Jesus tells them to pray and not give up. Look at Luke 19. In 19, this one I won't belabor, but it, I'm hopefully building the, the fact that Luke is on to something. He's saying it on purpose in 1945. Jesus, chief charge. Okay, he's ticked at the, the temple and its leaders for abandoning their role. Now, what was their role? What were all the things that mattered to Israel about, you know, the, the Make Israel Great Again movement was, was thick in the, the people of the leaders of Israel. They wanted to see the Romans driven out, and they wanted to see worship restored, and they wanted the Gentiles gone, and they, so they wanted a pure worship, end of oppression, success and blessing of God. That's what they were waiting for from the Messiah. And you know, the, the thing that Jesus is most frustrated about, he says in verse 45, when Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. You know what got the Lord Jesus' heart boiling? Was that God's people supposedly were gathering in a place that was prayerless. Lots of good, powerful things were being done, but this was not a house of prayer. And then Luke 22, where we read in the beginning, I want to point you before we read the passage again that I read to you, but verse 31, Jesus bolstered others amidst temptation. This is easy to miss. Uh, Simon, Simon, verse 31, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I 
have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Okay, I, 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 do you realize that, that Peter, Peter, that's Simon, if you're, he, he did not stand firm in his own strength. We're going to see that later in the chapter. But here is the defining thing that, that, that changed Peter's future. It was that Jesus was praying for him. And, and Jesus took up this, if I am going, I want to see Peter persevere, I'm going to pray for him. I have prayed for you. And, and, and he didn't just do that for others. He believed prayer was a necessary element to perseverance in the suffering and temptation of the world. Because I want to read for you verses 30, um, 39 and through again or at least highlight, can you look at verse 39? When a, whenever a narrative, okay, whenever you're looking at God's word and it's a story, whenever it puts a statement at the beginning, at the end, it's a good way for you to notice the, the top and the tail of that story. Oh, this is what that's, where that story is trying to take me. It's trying to help me understand. It's, it's putting, it's really showing its cards in a helpful way. Not all stories do that, but I want you to see this. Jesus went out on a, as usual to a mount, the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. And on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Now, please go look at the, the final verse, verse 46. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray that you will not fall into temptation. So, we're quick studies here. It's a nice church. How does Jesus think you will keep from falling into temptation? Prayer. He says, pray that you will not fall into temptation to kneel and root yourself in the strength that the Spirit of God supplies, to depend, to know. You know you're not going to beat temptation. You are not going to be. You are saved by grace, and you will not be sanctified by self-discipline. You will be sanctified. You will be set apart, and you will be made into the image of Christ through increasing dependence. There is this dangerous thing that has snuck into so much of that kind of what would Jesus do, let me guide you along the way thing, is that Jesus is your self-actualization and growth coach. And even the way we can talk about sanctification is kind of you're growing. But here's the thing, Jesus would imagine you growing as roots growing deeper into him. Dependence, you would actually get lower and you would agree more each year Apart from me, I can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what Jesus said, right? You and I would not be thinking, I'm growing as a Christian, which means I stumble less and kind of dust myself off quicker and get back to the good works of righteousness in my own strength. Now, there is more obedience and greater effectiveness and all these things that the Spirit is pleased to give. It, the, the Scripture tells us to make every effort. Please don't hear me saying, that you shouldn't do any work in the Christian life of being willing to obey the Lord Jesus. But I do think you have to recognize the roots of working to grow, grow in dependence on him. Because he, here's what happens in this passage. And I'm just going to pull the, the, the story rather than read all of the passages. There's two groups of men. There's three men that sleep outside the garden, right? And there's one man. Don't get distracted right now by the names. There's one man who goes into the garden and prays. And he says, hey, pray so that you will not fall into temptation. He goes and prays. And what happens? He receives spiritual strength. He is ministered to. Isn't that interesting? He's ministered to in that moment. He actually is strengthened. 
from the Father as he calls out to him. And then he goes and he finds his buddies, the other three. And they're sleeping, not praying, right? Well, then here comes the guards. Tell me how it plays out. Which, so we got one man over here, the prayer. And the prayer, does he stand firm in temptation? Yes. The prayer stands. And the sleepers fall, don't they? They scatter. And if you read Luke, and you read it with some kind of like, well, Jesus just kind of hovered around. He never really touched the earth. Sure, he was incarnated, but it wasn't that hard for him. <laughs> he was the God-man after all. So, you know, he just moved things with his mind. Then what happens is your life, you, 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 the, the enemy wants you to be divide, separated from the real path to the power he provides because here's the thing, Jesus, okay, he, and I, for the sake of time, I want to keep us moving. Jesus, he endured that temptation in prayer. He kneeled to the Father and he persevered in the strength the Spirit provided. He intercedes even on his death and calls out to God in his final moments, if we looked in chapter 23. And I want you to realize this, that Jesus, the one, your teacher, Right? You're a disciple of Christ. Your example, the one who, who leads you. He was faithful in his calling from the Father by prayer. And he did the work to invite you into his fellowship and strength. Because then on the cross, you know what happened? This is the thing. Jesus always talked to his Father with complete communion. No separation because of sin. He always could depend on him in this perseverance. And that is the place where you would be right. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to understand, you and Jesus cannot approach the Father on the same terms. You have to approach the Father on Jesus' terms. You have to actually come in Jesus' name. He lived perfectly the way not a single one of us could. God gave us all our lives, and we've all taken them, misused them, and abused them. We have, and, and God's going to repossess what he gave us eventually if we don't give our lives to God and ask for mercy. Jesus never had to do that. He lived in constant and perfect communion, but he gave his life up on the cross to pay the penalty our sins deserve, to handle the separation and condemnation created by our sins so that then, you know what we could have? We could have the perfect fellowship, communion, and strength that is available with the Father through him. He... He invites you. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, Pastor Lucas was talking about the, the Passover celebration. Do you know that if everyone had had this encounter with God in immediate personal moment in the Old Testament, they would have been consumed. In fact, they say that. Well, how can we dwell with God like this? And he says, how can I dwell with a stiff-necked and hard-hearted people? But here's what I want you to realize. This church can have prayer week and you can come boldly to the throne room of God and you can talk to him and you can talk to him right now and you can talk to him tonight and you can gather in prayer. Why? Not just because Jesus, he, he paid for your sins so there's no condemnation to bring you into this experience of fellowship. How does the holy God relate with you and fellowship with you? How can you talk to him in the middle of that heartache and depend on him in the middle of that struggle and resist temptation or even respond to where you've fallen into temptation without being consumed by the holy power and might and justice of God? Because Jesus has already been consumed on that justice. He has already taken the wrath that your sins deserve so that now you and I can talk to God as a man talks with his friend. Let me... Jesus died to forgive you and he died to bring you into a life of prayer.
That's, that's what I think we have to make sure we see, is that Jesus, he didn't bring you into this state of forgiveness detached from God. He brought you into fellowship with God that could only happen through forgiveness. You and I have been given this invitation to his fellowship and strength. That's, that's what you, you and I have been given this opportunity to, to actually navigate life like Jesus did, talking with your father. The people you want to impact, begging him to work by his spirit to impact them. When you want them to see more of the glory of God, you know how to follow what Jesus did. Pray. When you want to see someone you love resist temptation, there's probably, there's got to be people sending their kids off to college and it feels like this tense, violent string moment where they have to make their own choices and conviction. You can't go to college with them, but you can pray. And, and, and that's, not, that, that's not what our world has secularly salted us to think is, oh yeah, thanks, thoughts and prayers. That's not what Jesus taught. That's not what Jesus said. He said, watch and pray. Or Peter, I have prayed for you. You can pray, Christian. You're invited into this power and strength. And I don't just say that because, because of, of my own theory. What happens in the book of Acts, which we, don't worry, we're not going to go through the whole book of Acts right now. But Jesus, he dies on the cross, pays the penalty our sins deserve. He makes complete, full, and final atonement. He proves it when he comes back from the grave with the receipt, right? Resurrected, the king. Sin is paid for in full. And then as he ascends to heaven, he, he, he gives his disciples a mission. And what happens in the book of Acts is the guy, who struggled to pray are marked by a pattern of prayer and they receive the power of the Spirit. And in Acts 4, I'd love to... We could spend a whole week in Acts 4, but you know what happens? They face a crucial moment where the same people they scattered from are going to surround them. And now these guys open up Psalm 2 and say, well, the word says that you would, the nations would rage against your anointed. Now, will you enable your servants to speak with boldness? And they walk out and they, guess what? Now the prayer stands. And it's Peter. The prayer stands. Do you realize that? It's not just, well, Jesus stood in temptation. It's actually the same author, Luke. All of a sudden, here they are. They prayed and they stood and they proclaimed in the power of the Spirit. It is not that Jesus has invited you into a life that is so detached from your real life that you're just wondering how. It is actually that the church, the early church, heard the invitation that Jesus gave when he paid the penalty for the separation you have with God and invited to bring you into the fellowship of the Trinity. You have the opportunity for incredible, joy and power that the early church already has demonstrated that I think many of you can testify. You can point out to how the church that heard Christ's invitation to prayer experienced his power. So the question is not as much how for us, I hope. That college student running, right? How am I going to get through this? Well, the Lord, he says, you need to depend on me. You need to follow me into a life of prayer. You are only going to get through this in the strength that God supplies. The chronic pain, okay, and I don't want to present some kind of false expectation of only momentary miraculous answers. 
the chronic pain that someone in here is feeling, right? How are you going to get through it? Well, you may pray until the resurrection and the Spirit will give you strength day by day until you see your body completely made whole. You look at that loved one that you long to impact or you honestly don't know how you're going to kill the lies that have been plaguing your mind about your marriage or about the temptation of your boss has put you in an impossible dilemma between providing for your family or doing what God knows to be right in that moment. How are you going to make it? Jesus says, pray. He invites you to pray. He says, I, I did all the work to give you complete access and perfect fellowship with the Father. Will you take up the power of his spirit in your life? Will you, de will you, will you depend with me? You saw my example. Will you take up with me? And that's the church, that's the question, not just for prayer week, gospel grace, not just for prayer week. I hope you'll come and pray and we'll learn from Luke to pray. But I hope that you will say, I am a disciple of Christ. And since I have seen him pray, will I, will we? Will I be a person who knows that he did the work necessary to welcome me into a praying life? And will I follow him in the path knowing that he is the one, as I pray, who will enable me to overcome temptation, to impact others, to be faithful to the God calling the Father's put on my life, to bring glory to him, and ultimately to share in his glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, your name is holy. We, we, I, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would feel the invitation, the excitement that there is this incredible opportunity in front of us, this power purchased for us, this, this privilege of a relationship with Almighty God, this truly infinitely valuable resource, nothing less than friendship with the Almighty that we have sitting on the table if we would only kneel to take it. Lord Jesus, will you help us? Would you help us to follow your example? Will you help us to turn away from the, the easy patterns of the sleeper and to join with the spirit-filled apostles in prayer? Amen.